This is Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny DeSatnik, and this is a conversation with an underrated creator. Today's guest has achieved so much in such a short amount of time. His skills as a stop motion and claymation animator are mind-blowing. So starting from a young age, today's guest knew he had a passion for making great videos and telling stories, and he's really good at it. Today, along with his own content, he helps the world's biggest companies communicate their story in a very unique way through clay and stop motion. There's so much this creator wants to conquer that the next 10 years of his career are going to be really fun to watch. Before we get there, I want to tell you about a new initiative. I feel like I'm always talking about a new initiative that we're doing at Hashtag Paid. And as a reminder, Hashtag Paid, we're an influencer marketing company, but this initiative is for creators. We're calling it Creator Office Hours. We're trying this out every Friday for an hour, myself and one other teammate. We'll jump into a Zoom call or a Google Hangouts, wherever we are, and we'll invite just a bunch of creators to come through with their questions on anything related to brand deals or the creator journey or mental health, along with any ideas that they're trying to workshop, whether it's for new campaigns that they're working on, new ideas for their content, new ways to elevate their content. And what we found is that there's usually five to 10 people a week. And it's a great intimate number because what happens is not only do we get to answer the questions, but all the creators in there want to help each other. And they're bouncing ideas and answers off of each other. And we kind of all walk out feeling inspired with a lot of great answers and new ideas. And sometimes these creators stay friends because they're inspired by each other. So if you're around and you have questions, ideas you want to workshop, every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern, join us for an amazing session, which we call Creator Office Hours. But let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Ben Treat. When you said you had no social anxiety back there, Talk to, like, what was that like? Because I can't relate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even know. As a kid, I, like, did everything without any thought, like, a care in the world about anybody else. Like, I, I grew up wanting to find stuff. My whole childhood was really enjoying finding stuff, which was really weird. But that meant, like, at Walmart, I'd be laying on my stomach half under a vending machine, like, grabbing quarters and nickels underneath it and come out just greasy head to toe. My mother was not a fan, but one time I was in a Goodwill and you know, how they have like used couches. I would dig my hands in those couch cushions to try and find coins down the cracks of it. And I got my hand stuck in one of those for like an hour and a half. And we almost had to have the couch, like bought the couch and rip it apart. We didn't, I got it out, but yeah, no, I just didn't care. I was like, there's a penny down there and it's about to be mine. So, and then yeah, frogs and toads, that was a constant of my childhood. So did you come across other kids that were the same way as you that almost joined this crew? I did have a couple kids, yeah. I had a buddy. Um, he was more of just like an animal catcher kid. I, I grew up like in the mountains of Colorado, so but like there's a couple kids that I would go out with and we just grab snakes and like frogs and turtles and we just see how many we could catch in a day. We'd get a big bucket. I think my record for snakes was something like forty five to fifty. Like I would I would catch snakes. I wouldn't do it half hearted. And like I grew up in a place where catching snakes is kind of dangerous because we got like diamondback rattlers out here. So those were like, we'd still catch them, but we'd be like freaked out by it. Like we'd get like a 10 foot stick and we'd be like, like pinch its head. And then like one of us would go up and like get it. And we'd be like, oh my gosh. But yeah, it was freaky, but it was fun. You know, like that's kind of just, I don't know. It's like a treasure hunt in nature. Like look at the snake. And then there's like a challenge. You got to get them. It was really great. What's interesting to think about is how you had this pursuit to collect things 
and go on these adventures back in the day with these videos. And now what you're doing is you're essentially allowing, you're doing that for everyone else. Like you're allowing us to go on these adventures because you can create your world and I can watch it and I can be like, wow, that's super cool. And I would have probably never had the opportunity to, to go into. Is that too deep of a thought in terms of that connection? Or have you thought of that before? No, yeah, that's a fun way to put it. I like, I think the way I think of it a lot of times, I, I heard this from somebody said it like a sometime and I've latched onto it, but I really like making like evergreen content that can kind of just be like a little nugget that you can hold. So my page is just full of little like nuggets of content that will kind of like, no matter when you watch them, they'll either be like a part in the process of growth or they'll be their own little self-contained little story or, you know, unit. And even if you saw it on its own, it wouldn't need context. It's just fun little, fun little stories. So yeah, in, in some ways, yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I definitely have that mentality, but, um, I've kind of just always been attracted to things that like, like breaking records and pushing myself a little bit, which is why, like, I would count the number of snakes I'd catch. I was always like, it's got to be more. I got to do better, which is a little bit like it can be unhealthy. So got to keep a watch on that. But that's kind of what growing a following has been at times. It's like, I gotta, I gotta hit that hundred K mark. I gotta hit that 200 K mark. I have to like push to the next level. So. There's a bunch of that all mixed together and it's kind of just like fixating on on those goals and and pushing for it. If you look at the other side of that, there is a a beauty to that. Like there is a superpower to that in like if there's always a drive to do the next big thing, like yes, on the mental health side and maybe you kind of like get away from yourself and why you started in the first place, but that drive is unlike what I think most people have because you can get to these heights that no one else has even a chance of purely because of this drive to go bigger and better. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I don't know. It's fun. It's like, yeah, I would say drive is a constant battle, you know, and it's never like, it would be great to be like, yes, I'm always, I'm always on, I'm always pushing. And I used to be much better at that. Um, because at like, I definitely burn out just like everybody else, you know, you go through that, those seasons. But, um, yeah, I would, I do like to think that like goal orientation is really helpful for just keeping drive alive. And I've also found that like pairing yourself with other people in a similar field or a similar world helps me a ton, like someone else with drive and then pushing each other. That has helped me a ton. Absolutely. How do you vet for the right person? That's a, oh Yeah. I feel like I've I've found a couple people and they've actually kind of fallen off alongside me. So maybe I haven't found the right process for for vetting yet. <laughs> the gold medalist, you out you outlived everyone. I always feel like it's hard because a lot of times you want to base success off of, you know, numbers and it's really hard to do that because there's no consistency in that and that'll kill you as fast as anything else. So um it's hard to find people who aren't basing it off of that, but when I, I have found a couple people and it really brings me a lot of motivation to see people who are creative and like have just like a drive to make something outside of the social media world. I'm always curious. I'm like, how, what's your world like? Because, you know, it's its own little bubble and the drive can come from other places. So I'm, I'm learning from them a lot of times where to pull my drive from. Talk to me about one of the most recent instances when you worked with someone who you did 
learned from or you pulled some drive from? Like, what was something that you learned from one of the most recent people that you paired with? So I just did a big project with a buddy of mine. Um, his name's Evan Mann, and he, you should, everybody should look him, look him up. He's great. He does, he's just like an artist to his core, and he's been in the game for a hot minute. So he's kind of gone through a lot of the ups and downs of making stuff. And I've picked up on a, on a lot from him, but he's recently, he's just been talking to me about storytelling. A lot of the times, I think I've limited myself in what I create just because what I create is ultimately going out on socials and I know my audience. I know what people are going to want to see. So it kind of stops you from telling what you want to tell just because you want it to do well. You want it to be seen by people. But whether it's just a creative outlet where you go and you make something entirely for yourself that you just put out there in the world and don't care how it does, or just in the hopes that you can pursue that and maybe it does well just because the love is in, is in it. Um, but he's really shown me how to do that a little bit because he's just making stuff that he finds really cool. And whenever I look at his ideas, he gives me an idea. He's like, let's make this. And I look through it and I'm like, okay, we have, we have these moments of dead space. We need to like audience retention. And I'm like, I'm like doing the social media thing. And I'm like, oh, dang it. But I'm like, I can pick up on a lot from that. Plus he's just really good with cameras. He's really technical. He's like from the filmmaker side of things. So he knows like all the verbiage, you know, he knows all the names of the people on sets and productions and, you know, like a martini shot and like the, the words that you say and people understand it, the secret language. I'm always learning that secret language. It's kind of fun. Do you think there's value in you going back to school to pay for the secret language? I would hope that if I went back to school, I'd pay for the social aspect, which is the secret language, because that comes in hand in hand. But aside from like, the secret language is fun. But like, actually getting to know the people who speak the secret language is more fun. And there's some great people that you could meet from school. And that would be my main reason to go back to school if I went. It'd be to meet people because that'd be because it gets kind of like isolated doing social media. You're like, you're on your own. And until you get stuff like, you know, like our, our connect out there in, in Utah, like we don't meet people very much outside of stuff like that, or in my experience. So do take me back to your 100-day challenge or your 100-plus-day challenge where you did everything on your own for 100 days. And yes, they were smaller animations than what you do today. What was that like going through 100 days essentially solo? That's funny. It's funny that you've done your homework. You actually, like, that, like I forget I've done that sometimes. I told myself I'd do it. I was like, I'm going to do this for 100 days. And if I don't, then I'm like a failure to myself, which is like, I don't know if that was healthy, but I, it, it worked and it still does work for me. A lot of times, like if I'm trying to do something, I'll be like, I drop it cold turkey. And if I, I fail, then it's like a failure to myself personally. I dropped eating sugar for a year and it was like every day I was like, you can't, you can't eat any sugar. And if you, if you fail on this, then it's like you've you've fallen short. So that's been one of those things I can do that sometimes, which isn't probably the best way to go about it. But um, that 100 days, I learned probably the most I've maybe learned in a really long time because at that time, I was moving countries um, and I moved probably like five or six different like houses and living spaces in that time. So... Like every day having that challenge to animate was really challenging just because like 
some days was entirely in the car, like driving between states. Um, and so like one day was flying in between New Zealand and the US and it was a 13 hours like flight on a plane. So I like, I went in prepared and I like made like paper cutouts of bird like wings. And then I like stuck it to my window on the plane and like animated a bird flying outside the window. And like, I, I did it everywhere. I did it like in, in porta potties at like music venues. I did it like in Airbnbs. I did it like everywhere you can think of. And it learned, it taught me how to do it with nothing kind of like all I had was a phone and a tripod, but I still found a way to animate no matter where I went. So that was really valuable. Um, and just that consistency is what I built the rest of what I did off of. So I'm really thankful that I, I did that, especially at the time I did it. Do you think that everyone who starts on a path that's like filled with passion and something that they enjoy and doesn't have the notoriety, do you think everyone should go through like a, a hundred day, a 30 day straight challenge of that thing that they're doing? I would say if, I, I think a lot of people know themselves pretty well. Or I'd, I'd hope people get to the point where they know themselves pretty well. I think there's definitely types of people who do better with things like that, with pushing themselves in this like end all be all way where they're just like drop, drop everything and do this. That can be really helpful. And a lot of times I when I see people in my life that are like that, I like to try and encourage them to be to do that just for themselves, because there's a lot of benefits. A lot of people look at the very exterior benefits like growing a following, but the benefits are kind of lasting and in your life in general. So there's a lot of little benefits. So if it's if you're the right type of person for it, then yes, it's hard to know that you I kind of would say base it off your previous experiences in life if you know that that kind of motivation and pushing yourself has worked for you. But like, I wouldn't probably just prescribe it to everybody because people are very different all around. And sometimes that much pressure being put on a person is not a healthy thing, especially depending on like life circumstance and all the stuff. So some for some people and like, I would say just know your friends and encourage them, you know, like just overall, like encouragement goes far. And that's what I had as a kid, a lot of encouragement from art teachers, from my parents, from pretty much everyone around me. Everywhere I went, I'd show somebody something and it was garbage. Like it was the worst thing I've ever made. But they'd be like, whoa. And I was like, yes, yay. I like that. And then I just went with that. So constant encouragement for everybody around you, I would say is a good thing. Is there such thing as too much encouragement? Maybe encouragement in the wrong direction because encouragement can i mean just be careful with it it's powerful just like like make sure it's healthy because i also know people who have probably thrown away good things for other things that they've gained encouragement from like careers and you know life consistency like encouragement at the right time can push you towards the right things um it's very circumstantial so yes there is probably bad encouragement but it's probably coming from an unhealthy place from the get-go. So if you're, if you're encouraging with, with love for people, then you're probably doing it right. Do you have an upcoming, I'll call the 100-day challenge that you had a side quest. Do you have an upcoming side quest that you're looking to take on that's like purely out of like love and passion, you said, trying to get back to the things that you love regardless of the social media mentality? So I've been doing this avoidance thing where I have goals that I kind of been like 
just like pushing them away just a little bit. And then as I get closer to them, I push them away just a little bit. It's not great. Um, and I'm working on it, but the goal that I have next for myself is a short film that I feel like has some meaning and tells a complete story. That's been a goal I've been talking to people about for a long time. I bet if you go back to the little interviews I did way back when, when I was a kid, I probably said that then as well. So there's like, I don't even really want to watch that back because I know I probably did talk about that and I'm going to be irritated with myself for not having acted on it. But I would like to do something more complete, something that I can show and be like another little ever evergreen story that can go and live its own life, tell its own own tale and then just like exist on its own. That would be really nice to do. And I mean, like that, like it doesn't sound like probably as hard as like a hundred day challenge, but it seems hard to me now just because the more I've worked on my work, the harder it's gotten to make, which is kind of annoying and stupid. But like the more I learn, the more I want to make things better. So whatever I put out, I want it to be something I can really like put my stamp of approval on. So at some point, yes, there is going to be a short film that's going to be like the little clay character who fell off a cliff but was okay or something stupid, you know, but like fun and complete and longer and can bring some joy to people outside of the social media world, maybe. Did you talk about um, two concepts here? You talk about, and you've talked about this repeatedly, like inspiring others, bringing joy to others. And then you've talked about evergreen content living on. So I want to ask you about those two things. And on your link in bio, it says like doing things in order to inspire others. Why inspire others? Because I've been inspired my whole life by people and it's driven me to be who I am today and do what I do today. So I feel like inspiration is incredibly powerful and people should act on it like in every opportunity that they get. And I live my life by this a little bit now. I didn't, I've slowly changed how I live my life to match with inspiration, which I talked about this as well. Like Help, like consistency and like a healthy artist lifestyle is not always just inspiration, but take advantage of inspiration. It's like a little gift that the world has given you because like I, so right now, even today, whenever I feel like it, whenever I get really inspired to do it, I'll go and I'll just make a dance video and I'll just throw it out on TikTok just to make it. And so far it's been the dumbest stuff I've ever made, you know, like it's really stupid and useless, but like the benefits of it are immediate and kind of permanent forever because I can go back to that dance video in five years, 10 years and be like, look at this idiot, you know, and that'll be great. I'll love it. I'll enjoy that later. So acting on those moments where you're like, I want to create something is almost is always beneficial. I haven't had an instance in my life yet where I haven't, where I've regretted acting on my inspiration. So I think everybody should act on their inspiration. And a lot of times all that takes is putting that out there. So if I can put that out there and get people to act on their inspiration, then I'm winning. That's my my overall mindset for that, I suppose. Beyond posting videos that mean stuff to you or in a moment of inspiration, how else do you think about inspiring people through your content or through social media? Maybe in how I act as a person, there's a lot of like, I'd like to be pretty authentic to myself at the end of the day. So this doesn't happen often because of the lifestyle I live. I, I'm rather introverted and I work as an animator 
I spend most of my work life in a basement with studio lights and a camera for hours. But in the opportunities where I do get to be around people, I, I really like to just be a normal person. It doesn't have to consume your life. I still spend like 90 percent of my time hanging out with like one or two of my friends in the mountains in the woods. Like I don't, I don't do much of the, the lifestyle crazy creator stuff, which is great because I don't like it. I don't know if that inspires people to get into it. I think a lot of people are thrown off by the, the overall creator, feeling that the world has. Like there's a certain box that creators get put in just because of what they do. And I don't know, you don't need to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. Talk to me about someone who has recently inspired you. Yeah. Ooh, a lot of people. Dang it. That's hard. So in just my life, Aiden Gallagher, if you know Aiden, um, Val Spire family, he's just great. And his lifestyle has really inspired me um, just in my day-to-day living of life because he chases moments, he chases memories, he chases people. And I love that and I want to be like that. So I've been doing more of that with my life. Um, and then there's a million artists that inspire me. Like on, on the internet, there's a million of them. But the ones that probably don't get seen that much are like close friends and family around me that also inspire me. Um, I go and I draw in coffee shops with just local friends here in my hometown who are incredibly talented. And every time I go and I hang out with them and I draw with them, I'm blown away by their work and I get really inspired. And I'm always like, yes, I don't know. I get really excited for that. So those people really inspire me as well. And I, I'm not going to like say their names because I don't know what their, what their world looks like, but they know who they are and they're awesome. So, How do you bottle that moment of inspiration? Like when you say like you, you come across someone or you come across something and you get so inspired and you talked about previously that you'll just go throw up a dance video on TikTok sometimes. Like, is there a strategy you use to take that inspiration and try like stretch it over the long term so that you can keep tapping back into it? Yeah. I like to, I don't like to like bottle up inspiration. I really like to act on it in the moment because the nature of inspiration is to be the most irritating thing in the planet where it decides to leave you at the worst moments. And that's really the worst. Um, But the ways I do tend to like bottle it up if I can is I really try and like narrow down where it came from in the first place, which is sometimes really easy and sometimes really difficult. Sometimes you're like on a hike and you're in the middle of nowhere and you get really inspired to make something. You're like, what caused this? And like, maybe it was like light hitting a tree and you're like, wow. And that's really hard to bottle. But um, if you're like, if your inspiration's coming directly from like the world and you're like, you see a creator make something and you're like, that was really cool how they did that then just like diving further into that in that moment and like gaining as much momentum as you can and then like keeping that little unit together so you can reference back to it. Like I'll have this pocket of like five or six videos that I got really inspired by and I'm like, okay, I really like how they did all this and I want to make something like this. I'll just save it in like a folder or like somewhere and I'll just reference back to it and I'll be like, okay, I love that. I love that. I love that. And... Sometimes I can hold inspiration for a good amount of time. But that's when consistency comes in. And that's when you got to like push yourself because you can't always just base off inspiration, act on your inspiration and then realize that it can't take you the whole way. 
And that's probably when being an artist becomes real because that's when you have to rely on yourself. You have to really put in like the grunt work to get it done. And even if you lose inspiration, like it's just a push. I have like five or six projects that I'm extremely excited about that I have like I've not finished. I've got like a bunch of them that are half animated and they're like 80 hour projects. So they're not like, you know, they're they're going to take a hot minute, but I'm still inspired to make them because I know what they can be and I know what they will be. And it's not dead. So I'm, I'm just holding that. It will come. There will be a bunch. They're just taking a minute, you know, but yeah. I think what you said is so true. It's something that I find that I have an artistic spirit. There's nothing that I do is like artistic in the traditional sense, but you get that source. I feel that you get that source of inspiration and you sprint as hard as you can. And then you kind of get to a point where either like you can see the future as to like where it'll go, or you either get validated or you reach a little bit of a point where you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to do this over and over and over to get to this high mountain and you drop off. It sounds like being an artist, a successful artist or a successful creator in this way requires a ton of discipline. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of inevitable that, I don't know, maybe it's just artists because I feel like tech bros never burn out, but I feel like artists burn out constantly. I know some techie people who are just like numbers and I'm like, how? But they, they can just do that forever. Maybe I don't know how they're built. But it seems like a universal thing that artists will burn out. If you talk to me when I was like 17 or 18, I was like, I'll never burn out. It's impossible. You won't see it happen. And I'd listen to podcasts or I'd listen to anybody out there on the internet. And they're like, I, I don't know what happened, man. I just burnt out. And I'm like, wow, what a loser. Look at this. How on earth did that happen? And now I'm like, shoot. Ow, it happens. So it's kind of like fighting through it, you know, fighting through the burnout of it. That is probably the real testament. And I think it does weed a lot of people out of it because it's pretty hard to do, especially on the internet. I feel like the internet has made it a different game entirely. Like keeping up is more of something you can tangibly see. So you can feel that loss much quicker. And burnout just becomes really sudden and brutal. But yeah, fighting through it. What do you do when burnout hits? Do you have a routine? Is there something that you, like a process that you lean on to get either get through it or have it subside so that you can get back to that same point of like passion and interest that you were? Yeah, I escape kind of. And I, I feel like it's necessary for me. Maybe it's like how I was raised a little bit or my childhood, but I just disappear into nature, you know, yeah. which is like very hippie-ish of me, but it's kind of like the best because I live really close to nature and it works it works out really conveniently for me. I, I can't imagine how difficult it could be like living in the throngs of New York or LA where it's escaping is kind of difficult. But if I can just take the time to like just remove myself entirely, it helps me a lot. And sometimes it's like, I, I see the whenever I have a lot of brand work or stuff I've committed to for a long period of time and I don't get that opportunity, it's just like exponential, the amount you burn out to the point of where stuff that would take you like an hour is taking you like an entire day. And it's at that point, you're like, you really just have to. There's no, no choice anymore. Is there anything positive about burnout? Yeah, I would say burnout can re-centralizationizing-ish. Uh, you're 
your like perspective on things. You can kind of just zero back into what you care about a little bit more. And that's why I think burnout also like pulls people away because it pulls them towards something else and maybe something better for them. Because burnout is like a like a reset, you know. And when you reset, a lot of times it's like, what do I really care about? What What's bringing me happiness right now? And if it's not art at the moment, it's something else. Maybe it's people, you know, maybe you need to spend more time with your friends or build a community or whatever it is. Burnout will like lead to you finding that. So I would say there's a lot of like positive life health that can come from burnout. But it's hard because sometimes you just really want something. Like you really want to push your art, like your art and your abilities. So burnout is like the world slapping you in the face and being like, not yet. And you're like, dang it. When? And then it's like, never. I feel like you have this consistent battle in your life of being someone who is so passionate about certain things and these projects that you love. But then because you're throwing yourself at it and it is a lonely pursuit sometimes, you fight burnout. But then you're like, you know, like, I'm not going to let you get me burnout. But then burnout saying, well, I'm not going to let you get your passion. And there's this in between until something hits an extreme and you're like, wait, I mean, reset. It sounds like there's just this consistent battle in your life. I don't know if that's an artistic. Yeah, it's probably not just like an entirely artistic thing. It's probably just like maybe my method of living life a little bit because it happens in more than just art. You know, burnout isn't isn't a thing. It's a lifestyle. It'll come to bite you. Going anti-mental health, burnout's a lifestyle. Um, let me let me go back to the second thing you were talking about a lot, which is creating evergreen content. Um, I've heard in a previous podcast when you were like seven years old or however old you were in those podcasts, uh, or it at least looked like it. It definitely looked like it. Um, you talked about making a timeless piece. What makes piece of content or an idea or something executed i would say a lot of times it's like falling back on a lot of things that have already like been done and existed it's a lot of the stories that we care about you know it's it's a lot of the emotions that everyone constantly feels forever and a lot like with what i make it's really dumb what i what i make is this is stupid little videos you know i can't or I i can't yet um make something that's like gonna really dive to the depths of an emotion. But a lot of times, you know, there's things that are universal and I think will stay universal probably forever, which is like just human emotion, you know, like empathy and all the things that we like see in our day to day and we probably take for granted, but that's kind of what you lay back on to make evergreen content. And a lot of times that doesn't have to be so deep or moving. Sometimes it can just be beauty, you know, relying on something like really really pretty something really touching but just like pulling all these things together and making something that you could show to anyone anywhere at any time and it'll still mean something to them that's kind of what i look at as evergreen content and the reason that i think it works so well is because there's there's like an analytical way it works so well and then there's also just that it can speak to anyone anywhere because it doesn't like there's no language barriers to like beauty there's no language barriers to like emotion and there's kind of no time barriers to that either so you can show it anywhere and then analytically because i have that that part of me in my brain it's also like you get a video that does well and if your page is full of trends or things that have died away people go to your page and they have no interest but if you've got all these little pockets of of things that they'll want to see 
like no matter when or who, then people are going to flood to your pages and be like, look at all this stuff that's already existing. It's like a little treasure trove. Look at all these little trinkets. It's like collecting little trinkets. Like, look, this one's a metal dinosaur and this one's a shiny rock. And it's like, everybody loves shiny rocks. So who could be upset at a shiny rock? Not me. I love shiny rocks. I really do. That's why I like have little jewelry things. All the jewelry I wear, I found. So that's my little thing. I have to find the jewelry I wear. And that's my little collection. It's like my little collection on my body. I'm like, ha ha, my little shiny rock. Yeah. Dude, you and going on adventures, I feel like that's a BTS that a company, a company that's like an adventure-based company, whether it's like a boot company or a hiking company or a video company needs to just give you money to be like, we realize Ben used to love doing this stuff. He probably still loves doing this stuff. Like, we just want to go see what this guy does, either in our gear yes, or with our tools. That would be great. Yeah, boot companies, reach out. I I love boots. <laughs> the boots are good. <laughs> I wear Converse into nature and it's a mistake. So I need boots. <laughs> but yeah, no, that'd be fun. I don't overlap those worlds often, but they should because it's a lot of, a lot of my life is just like nature. So, yeah. But I think there's a lot of value in holding some things really private, personal, and not having that shared with the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's like, um, a lot of the things I do are just like, you know, very isolated. Like I'll, normally with one or two really yeah. close friends, because I like to share experiences. I, I don't know why that's a constant, but I, I really love just, yeah, sharing things that I like plan out. So a lot of the times what I do out in nature is I'll like, I'll plan a little trip. I'll be like, I know there's a little waterfall hidden and it's like way back in the middle of nowhere. And then I'll get like one or two of my friends and I'll be like, let's go to this, the store. We'll fill a backpack with fun little snacks and then we'll just hike to this waterfall and eat our little fun little snacks and then come home. And it's great. I think that's so cool. I think in a world where I, I've been thinking about this a ton recently and like in a world where everything's so public and it's the the encouragement is to be public, right? Like, as you're saying, put something out that you love. Maybe you'll connect with someone. Maybe it'll change your life. Someone likes next email, post the next tweet, post the next video, one more, one more, one more. And let's be vulnerable. Let's be open. I think the idea of like having something that you just share with you and that you just do for you without posting about it, without making it public is so important. So that if, any, if anything goes away and anything in how you're living your life right now tends to kind of like wither you have this place of escape that's just it's not advice but it's this place of escape that can just refuel you and you don't need anyone else beyond yourself i think it's so important to hearing you say this i i think it's really great i i think and it comes in all different ways you know like another escape for me is coffee shops i just love sitting in coffee shops i'll bring like a calvin and Hobbes book and i'll just like read the entire book even though i've read it like 70 times and it's just this like nostalgia mixed with coffee and, and it's like, you can find your escape anywhere, you know, if, like, even if you are in LA or you're in the, the throngs of humanity, there's great things everywhere and you got to look for them. And a lot of times that's people, there's great people everywhere. You can find great people everywhere. You just got to look and it's kind of annoying to look, but, but you can do it. Talk to me about your dream coffee Ooh. shop. You've brought up coffee shops a bunch. Coffee shops became a part of my life, like in the last couple of years. I'd like never set foot in a coffee shop. And then I was like an adult and I was like, I had, I had money and I was like, I can spend $5 on coffee now. And I was so excited. I was like, whoa, 
And then I started just like going to every single one in my hometown. And my hometown has like way too many. And I love that. But there's one that I go to on like every single day almost. And it's called the Alley Cat, which is great. But it's like an upstairs coffee shop where they just flooded the place with art. They let artists draw on the roofs. They let artists draw on the walls. You can go in with a Sharpie and kind of just draw anywhere you want. And like they've got just like this community of baristas that are really welcoming and I really enjoy that. And now I just feel like it's my home kind of. So I'm there constantly. And I think like there's something to like, you know, I find inspiration in in like places like coffee shops a lot of times just because there's so many people like living their lives and you can kind of just be like a witness to it and kind of just be a watcher on the back in the background and just there's a lot to be energy shared there kind of you can go and just soak up the energy that people give out in the world you know the happiness the the fun and then bring it back to do to make your creations so yeah i would say go to coffee shops there is something there definitely is something about a coffee shop and i think to your point when you find the right one it's almost like a therapist it's like when you find the right coffee shop or the right therapist your life could genuinely change so i'm with you Everybody's got to find their coffee shop. Um, I heard you say something uh, previously on another pod where you said that some people see claymation as boring. Why do you think some people see claymation as boring? I think a lot of people, one of the first things they say to me when they figure out what I do is they, they're like, I wouldn't have the patience. Um, and I think a lot of people think about the creation process of something like claymation as boring. Um, they think of it as very slow and meticulous. And then like, you know, you, you work for like 10 hours for like a five second video. So they, I like from just a very base perspective of what claymation is, like I can see where people are coming from, but it's not boring because the fun is in the moments and there's moments strewn throughout. The fun is a lot of times in like watching back what you create and seeing it come to life in front of you. And it's slow, but it doesn't have to be grueling. And it's it's slow, but it doesn't have to be like devoid of whimsy kind of. So you can like in every frame that you create, you kind of imbue your own little personal touch and you hide little Easter eggs and you make little fun little moments. And then you get to hit play and watch it back. And what you've just been like, like this inanimate object or this like lump of clay in front of you literally comes to life. And I don't know anything else quite like that. I have not found like drawing is great. I'm a big fan of drawing, but drawing is not a buildup to like a sudden moment of seeing what you created as much of it's like a constant process. But like one of the magical moments is hitting play on something that you've worked on and it comes to life. It's very cool. I think everyone should, I mean, not, it's not built for everybody, but people should should feel that feeling of seeing their own creations come to life sometimes. It's, it's, it's super exciting. So, no, not boring. Would you say you're obsessed with slow, with stop motion animation? I think I'm obsessed with creating things, which is a little bit broad, but I, I, I don't like limiting it to stop motion or claymation because, like, there's so many things I want to make. I think I... I pigeonholed myself into stop motion and claymation because I am obsessed with making stop motion and claymations. 
but I am obsessed with making cool stuff, you know? And that's just something that I find very cool. But like, I also like, I, I make a lot of cool stuff in my life that's not stop motion or claymation. And just because I haven't decided to share it or found a platform to share it doesn't mean I'm not obsessed with it either. Like, it's just one of many obsessions and the obsession is making cool stuff. So you said a couple minutes ago that you like leaving Easter eggs or you like leaving little moments or, or adding your own style when you are going about claymation. How would you describe your style as a claymation animator? It's a funny thing because like you don't really have people always talk about a style, especially when they first start, because everyone feels like they need a style and animations like kind of one of those that is very stylistic if that's a word I don't even know but like you can know someone's work just based off of how it looks and when you start an animation you think oh that's what that's what I need to do I need to make my own style but what I found is that when I tried to make my own style I fell really short because a style tends to be repetition and the little like intricacies that you as a person bring to what you do so I think a lot of the things that kind of became my style was like how I move my hands and stuff, how my animation lands compared to others. There's pacing differences, but it's not something you go into and you think like, I'm going to make my own style. It's just something you find as you go. Um, but what's fun now is that people have messaged me or have like talked to me and they're like, oh yeah, no, I knew it was you because like it, it was in your style. And I'm like, oh oh, I have a style. And I'm like, wow. And then I'll look back and I'm like, oh, I kind of do. But it's not like, you know, it's not something I, I tried to do. And I think people should find their own style, you know. And it's always based on other people's styles. So it's not, don't feel scared to try other people's styles. Like, I don't own my style. Go do it. What do your followers or what do your audience know you most for? Or what will they say when they're like, oh, I recognize that video right away. It's a, it's a frantic frames video because of fill in the blank. What's that fill in the Probably blank? Probably like objects mixed with claymation. That's when people are like, oh, there's a couple other people who like we all, all the people on the internet who do stop motion or create videos similar to each other. We all overlap with each other. Like um, I've got a buddy, his name is Jonathan and he's called 24 frames of ginger. Everybody knows him. He's great. He's like an incredible animator. Um, and he, I would say his style, because as he's found it, is using his hands and pixelation to animate people. He'll reach into his frame, he'll pick up people, he'll spin them and throw them around the room, you know, like all sorts of fun stuff. But like, I'll, I'll use my hands to do the same thing. And it's more of like, I don't even know, it's, it's not like an ownership of a style. Everybody overlaps into each other's styles. So it's hard to say one specific thing that makes you say, oh, it's that person. But there's like a feeling and a pacing um, that kind of comes associated with that creator. And then you're like, oh, I know who it is. Kind of just when you see it. I don't know, like I'll see it with illustrations as well. Like I'll see an illustrator that I follow and I'll be like, I know it's them immediately because of how they draw their characters. And it's like, I just recognize it. It's kind of like when you're going on a walk and you see a tree and you walk past that tree like every day. And it's like, it's not very unique it's still a tree it's like just like every other tree but you still know it's that tree because you like know how the branches feel i don't know you just kind of know it when you see it i like the idea that what you're saying is a style is that of what others observe 
most of the time. It's not so much thing that you do so consciously. I feel like that's an interesting, it's an interesting definition or like an, an interesting proposition that I haven't heard before. Cause usually you hear, oh, come up with your, to your point, like come up with your own style, be your own person, do your own thing so that you can live your own life. But what you're saying actually does make more sense that it's more natural for other people to just notice yours because they're not seeing you every day. Whereas to your point, you're just slowly doing this stuff all yeah. the time. You definitely find it as you go. Like it just happens as you, as you learn your own little intricate things. Dude, you, so you spent a bunch of time on Musical.ly and now TikTok is all the rage. What was that like? What was it like being back in the day, being on Musical.ly? It was something that I never, I never got into the creator space during the Musical.ly days. And so for me and for everyone else that's listening that never had that Musical.ly exposure, what was Musical.ly like? Yeah, Musical.ly died hard, but I was like a, a big, it was the first social media I pursued. It was like, and it was because I had a cousin, I still have the cousin, but he's, um, he's, he was like big on Musical.ly at the time. He had like 150,000 followers on Musical.ly and he lived in New Zealand and my whole family moved out to New Zealand. So suddenly he was like in my life constantly and I saw him creating stuff and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm going to do this too. And then, and then it was like a game for me, you know, like. What, how can I get on the For You page? Which I, I don't think it was called the For You page. It had its, oh, the trending page. I don't even remember. It was probably the trending page, but I was like pushing constantly. And it was my first version of the 100 day challenge thing I did. Before on Musical.ly, I didn't label it. It wasn't called, like I, I didn't like want it to be like a 100 day challenge. It was more just like, I'm going to make something every day. So I did that for, how long was that? I did that for like, almost a year. And I pretty much animated every day. It wasn't wow. every day. I think like five of seven days a week, I posted an animation. So I really did it. Like, and I did it really hard. And I grew to like 16,000 followers on Musical.ly. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And I was interacting with all sorts of like people who are now massive on TikTok, which is really, really strange because a lot of the really big creators on TikTok were small creators on Musical.ly, you know, way back when. Um, and then I stopped using Musical.ly. I like, I don't know, I, I guess I burnt out. I was like, I'm done. And I like dropped using it entirely. And then I didn't even know TikTok and Musical.ly were like the same company bought out or whatever. And I downloaded TikTok and I like, when I downloaded it, it logged me back into my Musical.ly account on TikTok. And I was like, oh, whoa. No and then way. I also like, I started posting animations on that old account. And it didn't work for me at all. It was like nothing went anywhere. I got like two views on every video. And then I made a new account and posted all that, that content. And it was like a stark dis difference of just like exponential growth. So that was kind of crazy. But I was such a Musical.ly fan that I was obsessed. I went online and I watched the Musical.ly, the really famous Musical.ly people like, and I, I watched their videos because they did this big meet and greet and Musical.ly headquarters. And I was like, there's a Musical.ly headquarters? And I was like, I'm going to figure out where that is. And there wasn't, there was no public address listed. So I went on to Google and I went to LA and I went to Santa Monica where I knew it was. And I, I went down the streets on Google Maps scrubbing until I found the building in the background of one of their videos. And then we were moving to New Zealand at the time. So I was like, mom, 
let's go to the Musical.ly headquarters. And I didn't even realize that it wasn't like a public place to visit. I just hunted it down. And my parents took me. I showed up at the Musical.ly headquarters and I was like banging on their door. I was like 12 years old. And I was like, can I do a stop motion of your building? And they were like, no. And then they shoved like two Musical.ly t-shirts out the door and opened it like a tiny crack and like dropped them and slammed it closed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got a t-shirt. That's how obsessed I was. Dude, what a story. What a story. It's like obsession meets geoguessor meets kind of weird and stockish meets like like Wizard of Oz going behind the uh, the Emerald Curtain, but you couldn't really get behind the curtain, but like you saw like a little bit of it. And so it probably fueled so much in your mind of like, I need to find a way to now get inside this place that I was shut out from. I don't know what I was doing. I was that was kind of wild. And I'm like, I'm surprised my parents were like down. They were like, sure. I'm like, thanks. That's awesome. But that was weird. That was a weird thing to do. <laughs> but I didn't care. I was like, no social anxiety. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go find the Musical.ly headquarters and knock on the door and we'll see what happens. And honestly, like, I still have that T-shirt. It's in my dresser right now. I'm like, yeah, that's a win. I wonder what, like, the opposite experience would be of being the person inside Musical.ly, inside their offices. He's a little kid. So, like, what do we do for him? And they're like, just find swag and just toss this kid some sweat. Like, oh, we don't want to deal with him yet. Imagine what life would have been if they would have let you in and been like, oh, you're on Musical.ly. Oh, you have 16K. Oh, you do stop motion. Oh, yeah, let's let's find a way to partner. Like, different simulation. But That's true. I, I never really, like, I went there with the, the goal to make, like, an animation. I had it all planned out, too, because I... I saw from one of their vlogs what the inside of the lobby looked like. And inside their lobby, they had this giant Musical.ly symbol painted on their wall. It was like a 10-foot Musical.ly symbol. And I, I had cut out little paper versions of the Musical.ly symbol when I showed up. So my plan was to run inside, set up a tripod, and do an animation where I grab the Musical.ly symbol like out of their wall. And then I like do like a, I don't know, like a video around LA like, I'm at Musical.ly. I don't even remember like exactly, but... I went prepared. I was like, I'm going to make this content. But it was like still like, I don't know. It still made me want to chase it even more, I suppose. So, yay. It worked out. But it was crazy. What an amazing story. Tell me one more thing before we end this. Because been, it's been so much fun. I've learned more than I thought I knew about you, which is usually the best part about these podcasts. You talk about going from a period of no social anxiety, adventures, catching snakes, jumping in ponds with frogs in your camera, to then animation and stop motion animation. What changed? Why stop motion animation? I think stop motion animation was something for me because I spent a lot of my childhood moving house to house constantly. I Different countries, different states, just all the time. And it was something I could bring with me, just like any art, you know? It was something that I could, like, hold on to and bring with me anywhere I went. So that was one of the big, like, draws to stop motion specifically. But um, I think, I, like, somewhere in the middle, maybe it's just, like, the story of growing up, but, like, I gained social anxiety. Like, just from a kid to an adult, somewhere in that middle ground, I, like, got scared of what people thought about me. And, I, like, since, it's just breaking that down which is kind of annoying that that even happens. I think it happens to a lot of people, though. Like, especially people who are introverted. I, I think it just, like, at some point, they 
get really scared of what people think. And it's like, now it's just a fight. Break that down. So I think I'm still in that fight, but I'm getting better slowly. Okay. Well, then I have to ask, I keep I said one more thing, but then I, I got to ask something on this. You've gone from running stop motion animation, doing your hundred day challenge on Instagram, bunch of other platforms, but you were faceless for a really long time. And only, I would say kind of recently, have you started to show your face and like put more of your personality into your videos. What made you change from being faceless to someone that started to build a brand around who you are? I didn't really go into being faceless with the intention of being faceless. It was kind of like, I didn't see the point of adding my face. My face never contributed to what I made. It was never like, or my personality, like my personality showed up in what I made, but it wasn't something I wanted to like put out there. It just didn't, didn't align in my brain. I was like, this is the art I make. It's separate from me. But um, I think what broke that wall down was the adventure of seeing what I could make with my personality when I bring my personality into it. And like, that doesn't necessarily mean like I make content where I'm like talking to camera. I don't really do that. I still don't really, I, I still wouldn't say I really showcase my personality and in, in what I make that much. More or less, it's using my physical self to create animation sometimes. Like now I use like my face and I'll have my eyeball melt out of its socket or I'll have my face split in half or like, cause that's another avenue I wanted to pursue. I wanted to see what I could create using that. And I can't find anybody else who's going to sit around for 12 hours while I say, move just a tiny bit. And then I say, no, 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 that was too much. Go back. And then I go, no, 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 no. Like half a millimeter this way. No one wants to do that. So I'm the best volunteer that I can get. So I was like, okay, here we go. Here's my face, people. What a great way to end it, mate. You are, you're filled with enjoyable energy mixed with, I see some very deep thoughts on why you do. I don't know if you realize, but there's so much that you think about from like first principles as a human as to like why you do stuff, and why things work. And so it's so cool to see this, this mix of something that's so childish, but childish in the best of ways with this more analytical, like in tune with humanity and seeing those two things come together. Um, I had a lot of fun, man. I had a lot of fun chatting. I had a lot of fun learning from what you're, from, from your perspective, what you're doing. I say this all the time, but you're only 20, man. I'm so excited to see what you keep doing it and where you go with this. And you just thank you for spending time. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. I really like it. I just, yeah, it was so cool that like we got to randomly connect and now like this is so fun. <laughs>